Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. Well, it just keeps getting weirder and weirder out here. It really does. And it's interesting because... I take a slightly different position in my thought of the day about AI than I did yesterday when I feel like my show got interrupted when I was talking about it and all of a sudden I had the robot voice. But nonetheless, you know, I've been through enough life changes to know that people get really hysterical with change and they immediately, it's all or nothing. It's either going to be the greatest thing that ever happened or the worst thing that ever happened. And we don't really see many shades of gray, as they say. Um, And so I I decided after much, I mean, I was up until about one o'clock this morning doing a deep dive into all of these experts who are basically responsible for, you know, not just creating AI, but expanding it and letting it run amok, who are now saying like, oh no, put on the brakes, you know, we got to stop. And It seems to me that we go through this with every new technology, every, um, you know, you don't need a blacksmith once you have a car, right? Nobody's shoeing horses anymore. So will AI eliminate a lot of mindless tasks? Probably. Will it really eliminate higher thought? Probably not, you know, and, and I think that, you know, maybe I'm wrong and maybe it will. But either way, the the genie's out the bottle. The horse is out the barn. Let me think if I can think of any other <laughs> uh, appropriate uh, colloquialisms. You know, uh, the, the camel's nose is under the tent. There's no going back. So we better make peace with it and maybe put in some guardrails, but not too many, okay? Because the problem with regulation, and particularly government regulation, is that it never has enough. You know, it has to control everything, including how you think about it. And so I, I'm, uh, I'm going to remain somewhat open. There's a couple of great articles I read on Free Press and some in, in some of these scientific journals, and I'm really convinced that whenever they try to make me very upset and very nervous about something, it's probably because it's good for me. It's probably because I need to be thinking about it, and they want to make me crazy. And if you don't believe that, think about COVID, because that was the classic example of just scaring the heck out of everybody, and then us, you know, sort of quietly doing exactly what they told us to do, even if it didn't make sense, and a lot of it didn't make sense. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to let the AI saga play out. I'm very wary. I've always been wary. I was wary since 2001, A Space Odyssey, when Hal started talking. 
I was wary when they told me that soon I would have access to unlimited information on my phone in my pocket. I was a little wary about that. I was wary when I found out I was being tracked not just by governmental agencies, which I kind of, you know, always had a suspicion about, but by merchandisers, by retail outlets, by Amazon. You know, they know exactly what I buy, when I buy it, and how much I'm willing to pay for it. How about that? That's marketing 101. So I'm going to let this play out a little longer. I'm going to watch carefully and try to read as much and get it, gain as much of an understanding as I possibly can. I am not a uh, engineer. I'm not a computer uh, savvy person. I'm not a particularly scientific person. You know, I'm much more of a uh, emotional reactor. But I'm going to try to keep a level head about this because we have no choice. It, you know, we can't we can't undo what is already in place. One of the things we can undo, though, is this insanity about we're not allowed to discuss why these young, healthy people are just literally keeling over, dropping dead. You know, and I'm not just talking about normally healthy people. I'm talking about like Olympic champions. Now we have the American track and field star Tori Bowie, three-time Olympic medalist, two-time world champion in track and field, 32 years old, and, you know, she dies. Now, we don't know. Maybe we'll find out that there was a, a, a reason for this. She was found deceased here in Florida on Tuesday. No cause of death was given, according to TMZ. She was adopted by her grandmother when she was still an infant after she had been abandoned at a foster home, grew up in Mississippi, they told her, why don't you, you know, try out for track when she was a teenager? And she quickly became like a high school champion, attended Southern Miss, where she swept the long jump NCAA championships in 2011. And then in 2016, in the Rio Olympic Games, she won a gold medal in, in the uh, 400 meter, a silver medal in the 100 meter, and a bronze medal in the 200 meter. So obviously uh, a girl in pretty darn good shape, right? And all of a sudden at age 32, boom. And, and we're not allowed to ask any questions. You know, we, we weren't supposed to ask any questions when DeMar Hamlin collapsed on the uh, field. Don't you dare mention vaccines. You're not allowed. He had an episode. Uh, you know, now I'm looking at these stories of uh, Jamie Foxx. I mean, apparently, Jamie Foxx is in not good shape. You know, I texted Derek late last night because I'm reading all these, like, kind of scary stories about Jamie Foxx and, like, what happened? Nobody wants to talk about what happened. A relatively healthy man in good shape, youthful, if not exactly young, still a lot younger than me. And all of a sudden, you know, he has a medical incident. What does that mean? You know, if if you don't know three weeks after the medical incident what it was, that's concerning. And if you do know what it was and you're not telling us, that's more concerning. So, you know, it's that whole level of mistrust, distrust. You know, forget misinformation. How about the fact that we don't get any information sometimes? And that's why 
when I see a fairly, you know, young, fairly healthy person or even extraordinarily healthy person just suddenly collapse and nobody wants to tell me what happened, the first place my mind goes is the vax. But I'm not sure. You know, I don't know how often young athletes were dying unexpectedly before the vax because we didn't see articles about them as often as we do now because, of course, the vax is in the news. I'm not sure if it didn't happen as much or just wasn't as reported. That said, I always question things that seem suspicious to me. The insurance statistics are way up. You know, uh, everybody's got a story. Clients with blood clots in their legs over, you know, since the, the shot. Uh, chiropractors, chiropodists, podiatrists all saying like, I don't know, I never saw this many. I don't know what it is. You know, I myself went to the doctor and after, you know, these uh, hard parts in my leg, I said, look, we got to get to the bottom of this. And I said, is it possible that this is vaccine related, having had the jabs? And he said, well, you know, I really don't know. I don't think so. But let's go get, you know, ultrasound, sonogram. Let's, let's check. Let's make sure. And, you know, I, I don't want a blood clot in my leg. So I went and had tests done. And to be honest, we still don't know what happened. You know, I, and apparently that's okay with doctors. They're like, okay, no, maybe, I don't know. And I have a good doctor, but I don't know. They, they, they're not getting any information either, or they're being told, you better toe the line, or we'll take your medical license away. <laughs> you won't be allowed to practice medicine if you say the wrong thing. And you, you look at RFK. I mean, th there's a media blackout on this guy who's a real contender, no matter what you think of him. I would say that in, when it comes to Democrats, he is the only contender right now that Joe Biden should be worried about, right? Nobody else has even, you know, sort of stepped up. And here you have this guy, comes from the Kennedy family. He is uh, super bright. I know that for a fact, knew him. And he's talking about, you know, he's still a, a you know, a dyed-in-the-wool liberal, but he says, you know, Big Pharma has, uh, has denied any responsibility for any kind of vaccine-related injuries or vaccine-related uh, deaths. They don't want to talk about it. We're not allowed to talk about it. And because he talked about it, CNN won't have him on, or they make fun of him, or MSNBC. The only place he can go on is Fox, and who knows how long that's going to last, because... You know, Fox is in the, uh, dare I say it, in the toilet, you know, as is Bud Light. You know, the pushback is becoming much more predictable. Now you have the army. You know, what is the purpose of using a drag queen for recruitment? You know, somebody help me out here. Do we really think it's a, a brilliant idea to have, you know, the Dylan Mulvaney's represent the United States military? Look, I'm not saying you got to keep out any, uh, you know, uh, transsexuals or, or transvestites or whatever the phrase we're allowed to use now is, but do we really want to use them as our, uh, you know, calling card for the United States military? Can you imagine what they're thinking? 
in China or what they're thinking in Russia when they when they look at this? They gotta be shaking their heads or actually they gotta be, you know, rubbing their hands together. It's really bizarre. I saw that um the the guy who is responsible for taking out Osama bin Laden, the Navy SEAL, he's outraged. He said, I fought and and risked my life so that you could have a drag queen soliciting people to serve in the United States military? He is not happy. And I would imagine a lot of people in the military are not happy about that. And I'm just, you know, now I'm looking at Bud Light. They thought that was so cool, right? The, the girl said, oh, we got to look for a new market. Yeah, let's look at the uh, transgender market, all 0.05% of them. And let's alienate everybody else who has been buying our beer for generations. Let's just throw them out the window and uh, cater to this very, very small group of people and see how that works for us. Well, it didn't work, right? So now Bud Light is offering financial support to workers that were targeted over this uh, Dylan Mulvaney backlash. That's right. They're going to triple summer marketing spending on the brand because the, uh, you know, the sales are down. Why don't you just admit you made a terrible mistake? And why don't you just apologize to the very people who have kept your business together. We don't need a commercial with, uh, you know, uh, galloping Clivesdales where you're saying, you know, oh, uh, beer should bring people together. The beer should not be the focus of the debate. You did that. Nobody was even thinking about it. Bud Light drinkers were Bud Light drinkers. And then all of a sudden, Dylan Mulvaney's got his face on a can and, uh, you know, he's standing there in a Nike sports bra. And let's face it, you know, the guys who drink a lot of Budweiser in Kansas look at that and go like, whoa, 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 no, no, no. I don't want anybody to think I, you know, I might put on a dress or a sports bra. I'll just drink Modelo. That's the beer that's taken over. I, I didn't even know that that was a contender, okay? Modelo? I mean, I would have thought maybe Coors Light or, I don't know, I, I just, uh, I was very surprised. It's a Mexican beer, Modelo, you know? And all of a sudden, it's like uh, zooming to the top of the charts. Let me tell you one thing about Hispanic men, Mexican men, Puerto Rican men, Cuban men. They don't wear sports bras. And they don't dress up like girls. And if they do, it's on the down low, okay? It's not going to be in your face in an advertisement. Just saying. So Modelo, you know, welcome to uh, the top of the food chain. That's all I can say. Anyway, don't forget that we have an amazing contest that goes on all the time. All you got to do is either go to our app, the 850WFTL app, or go to the website, 850WFTL.com, and you get rewarded. Even just for listening, you get rewarded, but you may enter a contest where you win a $50 DoorDash gift card so you can get saucy with the delicious fried chicken tenders from Tender Shack. All you got to do is enter on the app or at the website. I also wanted to remind everybody, and I got an interesting piece to share with you in the next segment, but I want to remind everyone there's another honor flight that's coming in this Saturday evening. And it's coming in at Terminal 4, which is Spirit Airline here in Broward County. If you want to greet this plane, I'm, I'm seriously going to try to get there this time. I actually am going to be in town for the first time in a while. 
Get there at 745 Terminal 4, which is Spirit Airline, and welcome back the incredible men and women who served in, uh, I think there's one World War II veteran, there's uh, Korean War veterans, Vietnam War veterans, just be there. It is an experience that is incomparable. Let me take a quick break and I'll be right back. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. So there were like two stories that really uh, caught my interest. Now, obviously, I do have an opinion about the trial of the so-called Proud Boys and the fact that the jury came back with a guilty verdict. And um, But I have to read all of the documentation before I talk. I, you know, I'm just not one of these people who uh, thinks I understand. I don't know what the jury saw. I really don't. Um, I think it's going to be... Uh, appealed, and I think uh, seditious conspiracy is a pretty heavy charge. You're going to have to, you know, um, you're going to have to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt, and they did, uh, but now there'll be appeals, and he could get 20 years. Uh, actually, I think he can get even longer, and the idea that people put words in, in their mouths, you know, um, is amazing to me that, that they're able to get away with that by saying like, whoa, they thought they were, Enrique Otario thought he was uh, Trump's army. I never heard that, you know, and I have, I interviewed Enrique Otario years ago. And uh, I, when, I think when Trump was the president and I never heard him say that, but okay, you know, whatever. They're going to get away with it because there's no media that's willing to push back on any of this and they have a narrative and they're going to stick to that narrative. But I have to tell you something interesting that happened to me. I got an email from a listener. And, you know, the other day I was talking about the, um, the, the Philippine leader whose name is Fernando or Ferdinand Marcos Jr. And, but I got a, an email from a listener who said, when you asked why he is called Bong Bong, I know the answer. He said, we were in the same graduate business class, the class of 82 at the Wharton Graduate School at the University of Pennsylvania. The things I remember about him were he was very nice, always well-dressed in slacks and white polo golf shirts in class. Rumor had it that he transferred from the London School of Economics to Wharton because of something one of his bodyguards did to a British citizen, and he was asked to leave the country. I believe he lived with his sister in a town nearby the university. And as my friend said, I have no idea, that not my friend, the listener said, I have no idea if that's true or not, but that was the rumor. He said, the thing I always thought was very funny is that he would drive his Porsche to school flanked by two carloads of bodyguards in late model American cars. I found it humorous that he usually had six bodyguards and they always dressed in University of Pennsylvania football jackets. You have to remember, Wharton is a graduate school of finance in an Ivy League school. 
His bodyguards were all of about five and a half feet tall, stocky, and very tan. They did not look like football players, nor did they look like students. They blended in, and I love this line. He said, they blended in like KKK members at a shiva. <laughs> I thought that was great. The feel, feel free to email me back. I love your show. And so then I emailed him. I said, what a story. Can I read it on the air tomorrow? I said, KKK dudes at a shiva, I can't stop giggling. And he said, absolutely. I don't think I said anything too controversial just between you and I. And that's it. And, and he said, by the way, there were many famous people that went to Wharton in my day. We normal students referred to them as the dean's list. It was rumored that about 10 out of the 610 students in the class got in because of their name and family power. But in all fairness, it spreads the school's name and influence, so I can't blame the school for doing it. Well, Donald Trump went there. You know, uh, I assure you that it was probably because of his name and his father's influence, whatever. You know, um, I'm grateful that when my kids got into Ivy League schools, there was no question that it wasn't because of their heritage. <laughs> they actually uh, deserved to go there, and I'm so sorry that I let them. But that's a show for a different day, right? It is, and, and, and trust me, I will. I will conduct that show on a different day. So there was a, um, a shooting in Atlanta yesterday, and it's gonna be very controversial. First and foremost, I can tell you right now that because the weapon used was not an AR, it will not stay in the headlines very long. Even though multiple people were shot, I believe there was only one death so far. Um, but the suspect in Atlanta in this mass shooting was charged with one count of murder and four counts of aggravated assault, according to Fulton County Jail Records. Dayon Patterson waived his first court appearance Thursday after police say he opened fire in the waiting room of an Atlanta medical practice on Wednesday. Workers and others in a bustling commercial district took shelter for hours during the manhunt. He was captured in Cobb County, just northwest of Atlanta. Now, what makes this so interesting is the fact that this young man is a veteran and his mother is a nurse and she is not going to let this go down without her telling the whole story. Now, most people don't have an advocate like that. And I don't know anything about, uh, you know, Dayon Patterson or his mother, but I will tell you this. I have heard stories like this almost uh, since I was 18 and started paying attention to veteran stories. As you know, I have a heart for veterans. And so I'm always curious, are they getting the care they need? Are they getting housing? Are they getting, you know, treated right? And this young man apparently was uh, on a particular medication, a medication that I happen to have serious questions about anyway, um, but they would not give him his medication, the, the Veterans Administration apparently, because it's highly addictive. And for whatever reason, they had decided not to give him this medication and instead gave him a different medication. And so his mother, who's a nurse, claimed that that was the problem, that she went with her son to the medical office and he was, a, a, he was in the Coast Guard. And he had a little bit of mental instability going on from medication that he began taking on Friday. She said her son had wanted Ativan to deal with anxiety and depression, but the VA health system would not give it to him because they said it would be too addicting. 
She's a nurse and said she told him he would only have taken the proper dosage. She started crying. Those families, those families, they're hurting because they wouldn't give my son his, and then she uses a colorful word, Ativan. These families lost their loved ones because he had a mental break because they wouldn't listen to me. She ended the call without saying what medication her son had been taking. Now, I bring this up because this is another one of those subjects which we're not allowed to talk about. You know, every time there's a mass shooting, it takes like two weeks before we're allowed to know that the person who conducted the shooting, forget about what kind of gun they used. This guy did not use an AR, so it won't stay in the news very long. Forget about that and tell me what kind of medication they were on. Because from the beginning of us looking at these mass shootings, or at least from the, the most recent mass shootings beginning in Sandy Hook and ending you know, with this one in Atlanta, these people are on medications. Medications that have a range of side effects that could lead to disorientation, to violent outbursts, and to all that kind of stuff. I mean, the uh, Lanza, uh, Nicholas Cruz, all of them with serious mental disorders and seriously medicated, and nobody wants to talk about that. We're not allowed to talk about that. You can't say that. It was the gun. The gun did it. You know, if they had not had access to the gun, nothing would have happened. Now, let me tell you, when someone is hell-bent on wreaking havoc and killing, and they are uh, demented enough, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that word, but if they are mentally ill enough to actually go through with their plan, they'll use a bomb, a knife, whatever they can get their hands on. Now, does a gun present a, uh, a far-ranging uh, ability to uh, destroy as many lives in as short a period of time as possible? Yes, but why do these people have guns? You know, we have laws on the book. We don't need other laws that would keep guns out of the hands of people who have uh, been uh, taking these kinds of medications. This guy was in the VA system. He was on... Uh, medications to deal with anxiety and depression, why was he, you know, why was he carrying a gun? And why was his mother, who's a nurse, allowing him to carry a gun? You know, obviously, she had knowledge of his frustration, of his being on medication that he didn't want to be on and not being on the medication that he did want to be on. And so the first thing I would have done as a mother is said, you know, empty your pockets, you know, you're dangerous right now. I love you, but I don't want to see you hurt yourself or anybody else. But it seems like we're, in, we're unable to do that. We cannot discuss this. You know, this is Mental Health Awareness Month. I'm going to have a guest on next week who wrote a fantastic book about her son's mental illness and addiction. And, you know, there is a, a, a very profound connection between a lot of addiction and mental health issues. And I don't know that we do uh, society or individuals any big service by insisting that they get on these medications that have some serious side effects, including suicide ideal, suicidal ideation, um, violent outbursts, uh, disassociative disorder, psychopathic uh, behavior. And yet we like, okay, we'll give them that and send them home and see if everything works out. We hope, you know, we hope. It's not working out. 
And we need to do better, especially when it comes to veterans. We need to do better. When you have PTSD, we can't just pretend that, you know, there's one medication that's going to work on everybody. But again, you know, I just, sometimes I feel like there's so many moles for me to whack. You know, and this month being Mental Health Awareness Month, I'm going to talk about this. This grieves me. When I walk through the streets of San Francisco or through the streets of Los Angeles, as I have to because my grandkids and children are in those cities, and I see the mentally ill people that are there on the sidewalk living, you know, just frightened, horrifying lives. You know, look, there was a guy who got killed in New York, uh, you know, and now AOC is demanding, oh, he's a murderer because some Marine got him in a chokehold. Well, guess what? When you have dangerous, mentally ill people on the street, they're going to get hurt. You don't show them love by allowing them to be on the street. We need a better system. You know, that, that woman that gave birth on the sidewalk. This is America. I, sometimes I look at those stories and I go, I feel like I'm in, you know, India in 1962. What is this? Is this Calcutta or is this New York City? The city I grew up in. Really, we got to get ourselves together. That's why, you know, when, when Tucker Carlson got on the air and said, look, we have a moral crisis in this country and everything, oh, yeah, he's, uh, he's going to pound the religious note. No, 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 we have a moral crisis in this country. And if anybody out there thinks that I'm being overly zealous about that, you're dead from the neck up, that's all. You're stuck on stupid, and I can't help you. Anyway, let me, uh, let me remind you all that uh, we have a lot going on on the station, a lot of things to look forward to, and I will be back for another segment, so stay right where you are. Oh boy, I tell you, you can't, you can't stop paying attention to all this stuff, and yet you realize that it'll wear you down. It really will. Now we got to worry about our uh, deposits in the bank, right? There are more banks. About half of the banks in the United States right now are in a condition where the uh, bank, the, the public, is so anxious that they're taking their money out of the banks. Look at these statistics. A total of 48% of U.S. adults say they are concerned about their money, including 19% who are very concerned and 29% who are moderately worried. At the same time, there's about 30% who are not too worried and 20% who are not worried at all. So the worried people far outweigh the not worried people. And this is from a Gallup poll. Now we have we lost the Silicon Valley Bank, then the Signature Bank, and now uh, First Republic, right? That was the third bank. And when this poll was conducted, the First Republic Bank hadn't even collapsed yet. People are nervous. You know, I was over at my bank, and I'm not disclosing the name of my bank, but it's certainly one of those banks that uh, is in the realm uh, I try not to do business with the, the super big banks because they support things that I don't agree with, and I, I like community banks better. But I'll tell you, I'm de definitely concerned about the safety of my money. And what do you do, right? Like, I, I, I can't walk around 
with every penny that I have in cash. You know, that's ridiculous. And not to mention, now there are going to be limitations on how much cash you can spend and how much cash you can have. And so that's kind of crazy. And, and what's really crazy is the fact that when they raised the interest rates yesterday, the quarter of a point, we landed at the highest rate in, I think it's two decades, 16 or 20 years, some you know large, 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 large amount. And this is not a good atmosphere for a person who's in office to run for re-election. I'm just saying. You know, Joe Biden's economy is in the toilet. And it's so fascinating to watch all of the news media, including Fox, because now they don't get exclusion or rights or anything like that anymore. It's so interesting to watch them trying to calm the fears. Like, people should be afraid. You know, this is the whole digital dollar thing. People need to worry about these things. Not that you, you know, can forestall it. It's like AI. It's too late. You know, the financial industries control a great deal of how we're going to live in the future. And I guess one of the things that concerned me the most about Tucker Carlson being yanked from his show was that he talks about these. He talked about these things. And you get, now they're leaking all these videos, right? I presume they're leaking them from Fox or from the Abby Grossberg. Somebody's leaking all these videos of things that Tucker Carlson may have said on text messages or backstage or whatever it is. And when you get Greg Gutfeld as the only person on Fox who will even stand up for him, that's pretty scary. You know, Matthew Gertz, who works for Media Matters for America, which is about as leftist as you can get, he said, we obtained three more behind-the-scenes videos featuring former Fox host Tucker Carlson's creepy on-set comments, which included uh, him talking about his post-menopausal fans and making sexual references. The article writes that Carlson also said nobody watches Fox Nation because the site, and then he uses an unflattering term for the site, stinks, whatever. He's the only one. Gutfield is the only person at Fox News who's defending Tucker Carlson. Now, why is that? Um, I don't know. I mean, you can't even hear his name come out of the rest of the anchors. Gutfield was joking about it on a segment of The Five the day it happened. And they said something like, in 2024, it'll be Susan Rice versus Tucker Carlson about the election. So the whole world is talking about this, but Fox isn't. You can't, you can't make that up. Glenn Greenwald, who does all that investigative journalism, and who, by the way, is a far-left person, host of a, a show called System Update, where you can see how far to the left he is, he said that Fox News is intentionally undermining Carlson's character. There's obviously a decision by Fox to wage a massive war on Tucker Carlson's character, partnering with both the New York Times and Media Matters to do it. And it's extremely odd for many reasons, beginning with the fact that Carlson hasn't uttered a negative word about Fox. Since his show was taken off the air, the, 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 the the, that hour has collapsed in ratings, especially among young viewers, which is what you want. 
I don't know if they think this is a strategy to win back viewers or what, but it seems pretty odd to Greenwald and to me as well. And no matter how many times I put in a call or a text or an email to the Fox people, I can't get anybody to talk about it. Only the people who used to work for Fox will talk about it, like Megyn Kelly. Um, I should probably have uh, Bill O'Reilly on. I'm sure he'll talk about it. But, you know, it's just... Now Fox is into cancel culture, right? You don't like what somebody says, or you're getting a little pushback, then, you know, then get rid of them. I'm so old, I actually remember, actually, I think it was about two weeks ago, when Fox News was the opponent of cancel culture, right? All we talked about was the First Amendment and, and, and free press and all the, you know, Elon Musk revealed all the disgusting stuff about government intelligence agency that was working in collusion with Twitter and Jack Dorsey and all the propaganda lies about Hunter Biden. That's all they talked about on Fox, right? Uh, they were the ones who said, look, this Russia collusion nonsense and this, uh, uh, you know, uh, steel dossier, that was then. This, unfortunately, is now. The Fox of now canceled its most popular host. Indeed, the most popular host in all of cable news. They just took him off the air with no warning, but without firing him. So they basically can keep him under contract. And by not firing him and continuing to pay him a ton of money, he can't go anywhere else. Which is, by the way, as opposite the freedom of press as anything I've ever heard of, and indeed, now make Fox the head of cancel culture. The only bigger cancellations that you can think of was when Twitter canceled Trump, the old Twitter canceled Trump, and Facebook suspended him. And both, by the way, had to rescind that. Unbelievable. It's ideological to anybody who thinks it isn't. It is. Anyway, don't forget, coming up at 1 o'clock is the one and only Dan Bongino. At 4 o'clock, it's the one and only Ben Shapiro. And then uh, Matt Walsh or Michael Knowles comes on after that, and then the WPTV News. And then tomorrow morning, Jen and Bill will be back with the morning show and Diener. As for me, I've got one segment left, so stay right where you are. I'll be right back. So, you know, look, I, I'm one of these people who try to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. But how do you give the benefit of the doubt to Congresswoman Lois Frankel? You know, th this, is a, this isn't even a, a close call. She sold the first Republic Bank stock in March before the stock dropped 80%. And then after she sold First Republic, she bought... J.P. Morgan Chase, which just bought First Republic. Does anybody out there think that maybe she had inside information? Uh, yeah. If I did that, like Martha Stewart, I'd be in jail. How about that? She's capitalizing on First Republic Bank's collapse and the subsequent buyout by J.P. Morgan Chase, according to congressional financial disclosures that were reported by Newsweek. Okay, this wasn't some conservative website that's bringing it up. It's CNN, it's Newsweek. She sold her stock in the San Francisco-based bank on March 16th, 
literally less than two weeks before the value of its shares dropped 75% and the U.S. regulators seized their assets, right? That's according to Newsweek. A few days later, on March 22nd, she bought stock in J.P. Morgan Chase, which on Monday bought most of First Republic Bank's assets. Now, the exact amount of stock that she traded is unknown, but according to the filing, the value for each trade was between $1,000 and $15,000. That's pretty shrewd trading. Yeah, you know, she, she can be my broker. But this is what Congress does. This is what the members of Congress do. They buy and sell stocks, which allows them to profit from industries they're supposed to be regulating. There were two other representatives, both uh, from out west. I think a Democrat from Oregon and a Republican from Utah. They also traded First Republic Bank stocks just before it collapsed. I mean, give me a break. The rules are supposed to be the rules for them are uh, the same as the rules for me. But somehow, you know, it doesn't work that way. Really gives me... Uh, uh, a, a sick feeling in my stomach. It's what Tucker Carlson was talking about. It's what a lot of people are talking about. It's this moral collapse. You know, this rich people and, and celebrities, they have one set of rules and the rest of us have another set of rules. If they don't like your political views, well, then your punishment will be much more severe. Uh, look, I have no um, affection for the Proud Boys, as I said, I interviewed Enrique once, you know, and it was a little too strange. The interview was a little too strange for my taste, and that was it. I, I, I heard his story, and it was like in 2016, I think. But, but the bottom line is, you know, there were people who were participating in all kinds of riots all around the country, and they didn't get punished at all never mind spend years in solitary confinement awaiting trial. You know, there's been some pretty seditious behavior by members of Congress. What was his name with the fang fang? Eric Swalwell. You know, but that's okay, because he's a congressman, so if he wants to sleep with a Chinese spy, we gotta let that, let that slip by. But Enrique Taliero, if he said he was a part of Donald Trump's army, we gotta throw him in jail for 20 years and lose the key, right? I'm not saying whether or not he should be in jail. I don't know. I didn't read it. But I can tell you this. The rules are different. The rules are just different. Um, and that's that. You know, D Donald Trump has just made another one of these announcements that freaks out everybody. He's got plenty of enemies, and uh, now that includes his, his own party. But it's the state. It's the deep state. And he just said at a town hall, that uh, CNN's going to host it, and he's going after everybody. Good. If he doesn't even win the nomination, let him shake it up. So I thank you for your time this time. Until next time, my plan is to be back here tomorrow at noon, if it be his will, and he delays his coming. What lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, be yourself. Everybody else is taken. God bless you, and God bless the United States of America.
The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.